message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. Good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. Well, it's good to be back as well. I echo Ricky's sentiment. I was out last week. Uh, had planned to be out. I've, uh, you know, for the first five years or so at Cornerstone, um, I kind of made up my goal that I wouldn't be out more than one Sunday in the year, and um, and that that's not necessarily a good thing, by the way. But uh, that was that was my plan, and I and I stuck to it pretty well. But uh, of late, I've uh, I've been encouraged to, and I've tried to every five or six weeks uh, let you. Uh, let you sit under someone else's great teaching. Thank you to Mr. Jackie for bringing the word last week, and um, and, and and for all all of those who uh, who fill this pulpit from time to time. Um, we're a blessed church to have men who can bring uh, not just a, a word of their own ramblings, but but they can open up God's word and bring truth. So uh, I missed you last week. We were in. Uh, I took the boys to Texas on their four-day weekend that turned into a three-day weekend because of a snow day. We went anyway and um, got to uh, spend some time with our founding worship pastor and his family. Uh, the Philpots send their love and uh, greetings back to you. They love this church, but uh, probably it would be better to say they love you. And so they send, uh, they send their, their greetings back to you. I was out two weeks before that, uh, which I didn't plan on being out, with food poisoning. And uh, that's no joke, buddy. It was nasty, and uh, I, I don't recommend it for anyone. So... Uh, you know, I don't know who else has to eat military food from time to time, but if you do, just skip the hot chow and eat the little packaged thing because it was bad. It was bad news. I hate being nauseous. You could punch me in the in the face over being nauseous, and I would take it. But uh, so I've missed you the last couple weeks. Um, uh, what announcements do I need to make? Do I need to make announcements? Easter eggs. Start bringing your Easter eggs in. Ladies, welcome back. How was the ladies' retreat? You guys have fun? Yeah. Did you behave yourselves? Rache, did, did they behave themselves? I can trust you. They did. Tracy wasn't there. Well, it was a, it was a tame weekend then. Well, good. I've heard, I've heard good things, and uh, you guys talked a little bit about more about your personalities and your colors, and, and what, was the, what was the thing? Temperaments this time, all right? By the way, uh, some of you from time to time still ask me about my color. You guys remember this? Okay. Blue, right? I'm blue, trying to push a little more towards green. You can ask me why that is uh, some other time, but there you go. It's out. I'm blue. Um, all right, uh, that's it for announcements. Let's jump right in here. Um, we're going to be in First John here in just a moment, but I, before I do that, I do want to give you just a little bit of a personal word, and uh, <clears throat> I'll probably most likely uh, type this up, write it up, so that it could be a little more concise and maybe a little fuller of an explanation. And that way everybody who maybe is back with the kids hears this word and, uh, and, and everybody gets some clarity on it. But let me just go ahead and throw this out to you. Uh, I really want to ask your specific prayers. And, and I, I do this at the beginning at the risk of losing your attention for the rest of the time. So just hear me say that and, and help me when we're done with what I'm about to do. Like we got to focus back in on 1 John chapter 5 because we're wrapping up 1 John. Um. I just want to tell you where I'm at, because as I approach now, um, you know, the one-year mark here in just a couple months of the loss of my wife, um, 
not only that, the 10-year mark from the time uh, we moved here and uh, began meeting with folks in our home uh, 10 years ago this summer, um, I'm being forced, as you might imagine, to kind of reevaluate life and uh, ministry, all things life and all things ministry. And if you know us uh, very well at all, you've known that life and ministry has just been one thing. <clears throat> so it's, it's a little complicated and all connected, and, um, but, but that's where I am. And I, um, I thought that as I approached, you know, this one-year mark, that I would be seeing some improvement and uh, that I would be, in some sense, progressing, finding my new stride, as it were. But the truth is, I'm not. Um, I told you just after uh, Kimberly passed away, when I got back in the pulpit just, I think, uh, a week or two later, that I kind of felt like, like Maverick after he lost Goose. You know, you don't have your, you don't have your co-pilot. And... Um, and you don't ever think you can, you can get back in that seat again. But that I felt like I, I needed to get back in the seat. You know, Maverick needed to get back in the air. If he was going to, if he was going to push through, they, they said, get him in the air quick. And um, it was difficult for him. But, but if you've seen Top Gun, you know that Maverick pushes through, and it's tough, and it's a struggle. But in the end, you know, he saves the world from the Russian MiGs, and, and all is well. It's a, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's a great story and a great ending. Life doesn't always, doesn't always pan out in that way, and maybe not in the time frames that we like. The truth is that, um, you know, I'm not maverick, and I'm, I'm just not, I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not finding the ability to really, to kind of break through and, and be able to come out on the other side in the, same, in the same way or in a new way and say, okay, all is well, and, and just keep rolling here. Simultaneously to all that, you know, as we approach uh, what, for, what for my family would be the 10-year mark this June, from when we, when we came here and when we opened our house and started going door to door and just telling people, hey, you, you want to be a part of a ministry called Cornerstone. Uh, the truth is that I, I feel like at that 10-year at that mark, simultaneous to everything that's going on with me, somewhat related but, but even unrelated, um, the church is in a place where it needs to reconsider its future. The church needs to, you know, uh, like we do as individuals, the, the church as a whole needs to reevaluate and, um, and really just ask itself, ask ourselves, how can, we, how can we get better? In the next season of our life, our collective life, how can we get better? How can we uh, progress? How can we do more of all those things we've always dreamed about doing here at the church? Um, I've met with our elders, and uh, I, I basically challenged them in light of both of these things to look at the future of Cornerstone with, with sort of a, a clean slate, a clean clean table, as you will, to take all the building blocks that we have here at Cornerstone, all the, all the assets that we have that we've brought together that, that make up all the, all the uh, great things about this place and this church and these, these people, etc., to take all those building blocks and essentially kind of in our hearts and minds remove those from the foundation that we've laid. The, the essential foundation that Cornerstone has been laid upon will not change. As Christ is the Cornerstone, that certainly will not change. But I think the mission, the vision, all of that, that foundational stuff at Cornerstone, that, that's not up for debate. But all the, all the ways that we've tried to build upon that foundation, all the ways that we've tried to use our assets, uh, all the ways that we've tried to use the things that God has blessed us with, how we put those things together, you know, um, upon that foundation, I, I think at this 10-year mark is kind of up for, up for reevaluation. Um, 
you might think about it in terms of a, of a restructure so that this church can have a greater or have uh, an impact that it, it has even yet to have on this community. And, you know, the, the, simple, the simple fact is, is that includes me as lead pastor, that those question marks include me. So as it, as it relates to me, things, things might change. They just might change. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm going anywhere. This is home, and you are you are family. Um, most of you know that that one of my very few primary concerns is the boys and the consistency uh, for them in their life. And and this is home. This is church home. We are we're here. I might just need to find a new way to be a part of this home. So why do I tell you this? I tell you this because you know I, we don't have one of those relationships where I'm up here and you're here. We've never had that. It's part of the reason I'm sitting here. We try and we try and flesh that out for you. Um, so I'm telling you this because I trust you. Uh, we don't know all the answers. I don't know all the answers to what I just told you, and I don't know what it all means, um, but that's what's going on in my heart, and I've always been transparent with you, and I just want you to know that's what's, that's what's going on with me. Something is going to change with me, and as I'm attached to Cornerstone, and in the life of Cornerstone, it's time. It's time that we just kind of say, okay, what do we need to do here? What do we need to do? Maybe we need to maybe we need to kind of redecorate. Maybe we just need to renovate, or or maybe we need just a just a wholesale rebuild. And my challenge to the elders has been, okay, guys, you know, um, me included. Let's just let's just take an honest look at this thing and decide what needs to be the next step. Whether it includes me, however it includes me, the whole thing. In my mind, as we go into, you know, what for, for my family would be year 10, um, I think everything's up for grabs. Everything is up for consideration. So I tell you that because I, I trust you. I tell you that because I trust our elders. I consider them first and foremost friends and peers, and uh, I know they love me and my family, and so I have no, I have no uh, hesitation to, as always, to share with them what's going on in me and what I, what I sense for our body. Uh, I also share it with you because if you love the foundation that we've laid here at Cornerstone, I want to challenge, I want to challenge you, to um, to be a viable part, to be a real part, not just like a every now and then part, but a real viable part of what might be next for Cornerstone, and that includes uh, being part of the process. Um, whether it's a redecoration, a renovation, or a complete rebuild. Investing yourself in that and on that foundation that we've already laid. If you if you love that foundation, if you love the opportunity we have here, then I would ask you to to lock, stock, and barrel all chips in. Commit to being not just not just a, a you know an average attender, but to understand that this this, this ministry is needed and it's important, and you're going to be a part of making it what what God intends it to be in its next evolution of its life. Um, as we, your elders, explore some options, as we seek outside counsel, and we've already started that process, and it's continuing even this week, uh, getting, getting other ministries to kind of help us think through what might be next for us, uh, I want to ask you to pray for your elders as we start initiating those, those question and answer kind of discussions of clearing the table down to the foundation and saying, how are we going to put the pieces back together in the best way to move forward? I'm, I'm, I'm asking for your prayers. We've got to have them. 
and, and as the elders come up with some, some options, some ideas, and then bring them back to you, that's where I'm asking you to be available and be a viable and invested, uh, like, a, like, a, like a player that's willing to not just kind of stand on the side and watch and cheer the rest of the folks on, but like you're willing to get in there and be a part of making those things happen. And so that, that's going to come. The elders are going to be exploring different options and come to you with what they feel might be uh, some legitimate direction and then we'll go from there i'm sure there'll be communication that comes from that all right make sense at all a little bit i'm sure there's questions that arise from that let's pray and uh we're going to go to first john and you're going to you're going to put all that on the back burner and focus on first john heavenly father it's with a it's with a humility and great honor that I sit in this space and that I've been uh, in this space for, for these years. And I don't take this role lightly. Because I don't, Lord, I, I seek your guidance and your wisdom. We as a church beseech you, Lord, to, um, to make your paths clear to us, to grant us wisdom beyond our own capabilities. Uh, Lord, to uh, put people and other ministries in our path that will help us to guide us along the way. We confess that uh, we don't have all the answers, and so, Lord, we ask you to provide the means and the people and, and the opportunities and, and the counsel to surround us to help us as, we, uh, as we're willing, Lord. It, it, there's a willingness that I'm proud of that I, I think will be in not just our elders, but in the, the rest of this body, a willingness to, uh, to just pull it all apart, and see how you want to put it back together for your glory, Lord. It's always been for your glory. And so, Lord, um, I, have, I have great um, hope in the potential of what you still plan to do in this place and in these people. Lord, you're not done yet. I know that. I know you're not done. And I, I, I still believe that uh, you want this, this body, this congregation, to grow into a great lighthouse in this community to have a, a greater impact than we ever have. And so, Lord, for, for the next 10 years, I pray that uh, you would set us on a path of tremendous influence in this, in this community, in this corner of our world, Lord. Use these people, Lord, and use the resources that, that are around us in what we call Cornerstone to do something great. Lord, I, I trust that, uh, that you still have wonderful plans for this church and for this people. And so, Lord, we ask that, uh, that you would help us to find that path. In Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. All right, 1 John chapter 5. Uh, incidentally, when we're done with this, next week is uh, Fifth Sunday, and we're going to have a celebration service. Our kids are coming in to do some stuff, so don't miss that. But following that, here's where we're going. We're going into a series that I that I did uh, several years ago that uh, actually Elder Radley asked, uh, asked us to repeat. And so we're going to do a version of a Lord's Supper uh, series uh, that we did some years ago. So if you've been around a little while, you might recognize some of it, but we've got some new ideas that we're going to throw in there and, and just have a, a several weeks leading up to Easter and maybe even past Easter that focus on the impact and the importance of the Lord's table. So hang out for that. That's where we're going after First John. This week, we, we tie it all up. First John chapter 5, starting in verse 13, down through the end, verse 21. 
The aged apostle tells us why he's writing this letter. He's done so uh, uh, half a dozen times. Uh, In this final section, he gives us the final reason why he's writing, and it's in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. In a word, John hopes to bring confidence to us, the children of God. Confidence. That's what he's His heart is for us. That's what he's writing this letter for. That's where he's culminating this letter is so that little children, these who sometimes feel weak, these who sometimes feel short and small and bypassed and sometimes not a part of the world that is spinning around them, we, the little children of God, would be able to walk in confidence. That's the heart of the aged apostle. Confidence. Confidence. That we might be able to sing with the old hymn writer, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That we can look to our Christ, our hope, our foundation, our cornerstone, and be able to stand secure upon Him even while there's a storm raging around us, even while the world is going crazy, even while there is no confidence anywhere else we would have, even as little children, we would have great confidence. In the context of John's writing, There is a lack of confidence. In the context of John's writing, the church in its infancy here was being challenged. Just like our church gets challenged. Just like the rest of the church in the modern world continues to get challenged. It's a challenge to truth. Truth will always be challenged. It was from the beginning challenged in the garden. It was through the establishment of the church challenged. And truth is continually challenged in the church today. Every, every scheme of the devil comes down to truth and lies. The Bible says that the, the adversary is the father of lies. His lies breed doubt. His lies breed doubt. But truth always births confidence. And that's the apostle's goal. Confidence in your heart. Confidence in my heart. That when we come away from the reading of his, his letter, that we walk away confident. Even while the world is spinning around us. Even while there seems to be no confidence. Even while there's questions being posed to our Christianity, either personally or as a whole. The world is challenging the truth of our, of our theology. We can stand in confidence. You see, the enemy would, would bring lies. He would breed doubt among us. It's part of his, his plan. It's part of his M.O. He's been a liar from the beginning. It's his nature to be a liar. And so it makes sense that he'll go to lies every way he can. But the heart of the Father is love, and love breeds confidence. You know, when you put your children to bed at night, as a father or even as a mother, you hope that your children go to sleep in peace, at rest, You hope that they have confidence in your love, that that they have confidence in the security, that when, when they wake up, life will be the same, that mom and dad can be trusted. I think our Heavenly Father wants the same the same for us as his little children. That we can rise and sleep under the blanket of his comfort and confidence, that he can be trusted. I think John he wants us as little children to understand that our God can be trusted. That Christ, the cornerstone that we stand upon, is not, is not shifting sand or sinking ground. It's a solid rock upon which we stand. So John writes 
so that you and I can stand secure in truth. In truth. Uh, in this last section, we find more of the same. We find more of the same. Verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. In verse 13, he says, Our confidence is in our relationship with Christ. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son. Those of you who have a relationship with the Son can be confident because in Him you have eternal life. The focus throughout John's letter has been Him, not you. If you ever have doubts or fear about what your eternity holds, you might want to ask yourself where your focus is. Is your focus on you or is your focus on Him? The question you might ask yourself is, do you believe in Him? If you do, then that changes everything. Because if you believe in Him, if you believe in the name of the Son of God, that's where your confidence lies. That's where your security lies. That's where your ultimate rest lies. But if, when you think about your eternity, the focus is on you, your lack, your weakness, your insecurities, your inabilities, your shortcomings, then guess what? Your eternity then gets called into question because you always get called into question. You are not, you're, you're not to be trusted, right? I mean, even, even the Apostle Paul would say, wretched man that I am. Who, who could save me from this body of sin? That was, that was while he was in Christ. He said of himself that he was the, the chief among all sinners. So there's doubt in us. But our hope is not in us. Our hope is not in us. John writes in verse 13 to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, not those who believe in their own abilities, to impress the Father. Not those who believe in their own abilities to, to take all the right steps in this, in this remaining journey that we call our Christian life. Thank God that we trust in the name of the Son, that our, that our confidence is in Him. You see, He could be trusted. He could be trusted. That's why we place no confidence in ourselves. If you want more on this, you can, you can jot down in your notes. Just read all of Ephesians 2. All of Ephesians 2. Repeats this sentiment. Verse 14 and 15. After, after saying that our confidence is in Christ, in verses 14 and 15, he says that our confidence is also in God. Now that's different than saying our confidence is in Christ. And, and let me read these verses because that may not have been the, uh, the point that you drew from these verses. But hang on. Verse 14. This is the confidence which we have before him, capital H, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked in him, capital H. These verses are obviously verses on prayer. Anytime you hear someone talk about prayer, these are verses that, that rightly ought to be included. These are, these are verses that do teach us, inform us about prayer, the confidence that we have in prayer. But be careful. In the context of all of John's writing, in the context of his whole letter, his point here is not necessarily to teach, at least primarily, on prayer. To do so would be to kind of jump out of the flow of his writing and to talk about something that's kind of now something different. Remember, he wants confidence birthed in the hearts of the little children who make up the church of Jesus Christ. And so after saying that we have our confidence in Jesus, 
he goes into these verses that talk about prayer. But let me read them to you again and put a little emphasis. This is the confidence which we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Who is the focus? He is the focus. It's a slight distinction, but let me make it clear here. Our confidence is not in prayer. Our confidence is in the God we pray to. You know, sometimes we, we hear people, I think with, with pure motivations, trying to encourage more prayer. And Lord, we need it. That's why we set aside a whole 30 minutes before church, church starts of worship and prayer because we believe that we need more prayer. So commercial for worship and prayer, show up. You, you need more prayer. But it's not because there's any magic potion of prayer. It's because there is a God that we pray to that can be trusted. It doesn't, it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not a, uh, a secret potion or some mathematical equation that if you pray this many times and in this right way and this often and you get this many people from every continent around the world praying for that thing that God is obligated to do anything. God is not obligated to you or to your prayers. But the Apostle Paul would have us know that our great God, the one who gives us a relationship through His Son, our great God can be trusted. How can He be trusted, John? He can be trusted that we can pray to Him and we can ask Him and ask Him according to His will, not just, you know, whatever we want here, flip it, whatever. Hey, Lord, I think I'd like, you know, one of those new Mustangs that just came out. Pretty cool. I saw one yesterday. Have you seen him? Pretty cool. That's not it. We might want to check on that. Somebody. Amen. All good? Chair? All right. I'll take that as an amen. Here's the point, folks. You know, it, it would seem if this is just if this is just a verse or two on prayer, it would it would be it would be a little disjointed. It would be out of place. I think the Apostle's intent is for us to say, you know what, we have great confidence, verse 13, in the Son and what He's accomplished. Our trust is in Him. Our confidence is in, the, is in our belief in the name of the Son in whom we have gained eternal life. But also we trust, we trust God because we as the little children can bring our prayers and petitions to Him and He will answer. He will not only hear us, He will answer. He will. Now, the answer may not come when you want him, but as the old uh, black preacher said, he's always right on time. He's always right on time. And so it may not come how you want it, when you want it. It may not come in the form that you want it. But the confidence we have in our God is that he hears us. He's not turned a deaf ear to us. We have great confidence, not just in the Son, but in the Father. Now, um, Verse 16, 17, and 18, I want to put together here because I think he goes from verses 14 and 15, this, these verses on prayer, and 16, 17, and 18 would also seem like a kind of a, a, just a, a random thought if you don't put them under, under the, the thought process and the flow of prayer. I think in 16, 17, and 18, he gives us an example of what he's talking about here. Watch this. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask... And God will, for him, give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. 
I don't say that he should make request for this. Unless any of us get on our high horse, verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin, by the way. And there is a sin not leading to death. And maybe you're scratching your head with me by this point. Verse 18, we know that no one who is born of God sins. A better translation would say, keeps on sinning. But he, capital H, who was born of God, keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. And so as an example of our confidence in God, that we can take our prayers and petitions to God, I think the Apostle John gives us these verses as an example. And it's a, it's a tough example. It's a, it's a heavy example. But if we get bogged down in the example, then we've missed the greater point, right? There's, there's some pockets in this passage of 13 to 21 that we could spend a whole week on in and of themselves. But as sometimes is the case, I think if we do that, we miss the overall point of what the apostle's going for. This is a perfect example of that. There would be those who would take these verses and try and pick them apart, pull them apart, and really, really very specifically try and figure out what is this sin that leads to death? Now, a better understanding of, of the translation would be, be plural, sins. Be a pattern of sins, not just an individual sin. So you, you kind of go off base if you start looking for that one thing. Man, if I do this, I'm, I'm, I'm a dead man. There is, there is a sense in which this passage is not just talking about a single sin. That if we mess up and do that one thing, then, then the grace of God, the mercy of God does not cover us. Like there's a secret linchpin sin over here that's not covered by His grace. That when he saved us and he, he covered our sins by his blood, past, present, and future, that there's still this one thing that, of, well, of course, you know, he won't forgive you for that. He covers all this, but he doesn't cover that. Is that what John's saying? No, I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. Most scholars don't believe that's what he's saying. There are some sects, there are some people out there that believe that there is some sin out there, and they've even tried to identify that sin. And that, that identification... It hits home sometimes. That there might be something that you could do that God will, will not be able to forgive you of. Listen, our confidence is not in us. Our confidence is in the faithfulness of our God. Our confidence is in the faithfulness of our God. I heard someone say recently, I can't remember where I heard him say it, but when you talk about our security, our surety, in the hand of the Father. Every now and then someone says, well, what if, I, what, if I, what if I let go? And this preacher's response was, you're not the one holding on. The Father is holding you. The Father is holding us. There is, hear me say very clearly, you can apply it to whatever sin you want to apply it to. There is no sin that the blood of Jesus cannot and does not cover for those who are named as his little children, those who are called according to his purposes, those who he has ordained to be, to be saved, to be plucked out of sin's penalty by the grace and the mercy of God, by the sacrifice of his son. He, he, he does not sell us short. There is nothing that he cannot cover. So there's confidence here. So it's not a, it's not a matter of hunting for in these verses. Well, what is this sin here that, that John throws in at us in these last verses. It's not, a, it's not a sin. It is better understood as a pattern, as a lifestyle of sin. So you might ask the question, who is he talking about here? Is he talking about believers or is he talking about the lost guy? Who can we pray for and pray them out of this sin that leads to death? 
Lost people? Saved people? Is there, is there a way that we pray saved people into life, in, into eternal life? Well, no, that doesn't make sense. We don't, we don't pray people into eternal life. Uh, that, that's not the, the secret sauce that, that gets people to Christ. It's not, our, it's not our doing. It's God's doing. Confidence is in Him. Our surety is in Him. So we're, we're talking about here, John is talking about here, believers. He's not talking about the lost. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will. God will. It, it, it's, a, it's a passage about confidence, remember. God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. So it, it begs the question, is there a sin in the life of the believer? For a brother, the one we're seeing committing sins, is there a sin that does lead to death? That, that's a question you have to answer. We have to be honest about it. Let's just talk New Testament. New Testament. Are there, are there stories of believers falling dead because of sin? Anybody? Yes. Got any examples? Ananias of fire? Yeah. Uh, I think about 1 Corinthians where the, the apostles talking about the seriousness of the Lord's table and the, the participation of the Lord's table in the early church sometimes became frivolous and flippant that it wasn't taken seriously. And he says some have gotten weak and sick and some have even fallen asleep, meaning they died. So, all, all cards on the table. Is there precedence, even in the New Testament, and we don't even have to go back to the Old Testament, but even in, in the New Testament, under grace, is there, is there precedence that God might take a brother or a sister out for a lifestyle, for a pattern of sins? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. So go back. If anyone sees his brother committing sins not leading to death, meaning, meaning that there are some things that, that as we look and we see our brother, they're walking in a, in, a, in, a, in a lifestyle, they're walking in some sins, they're visible, they're obvious. Now, we're not going like, like as sin police, as sin investigators, trying to, trying to hunt out sin in the life of other brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that's not it. But as we, as we are sharing life, and we're seeing a brother living in sin, walking in sin. There is a situation in which there, there is a brother or sister who can, who can find themselves in a pattern, in a lifestyle of sin, that if we pray for them, God will hear our prayers and God will save them from the point of it getting to death. There is a point where we find in Scripture that God might just take you or I out. If we continue in our sin, if we continue rebellious, brothers and sisters, we're not talking about lost men and women right here. John's talking to us. If, we, if we're going to press on in sin, rebellious against the Father, oblivious to the consequences of our sin, dulling the light of the gospel in this world, God, God reserves the right to say, come on home. Maybe, maybe you're doing too much damage here and you're done. That, that's just a sober truth of Scripture. But there's a situation, it's the situation that John speaks of here, not the sin leading to death, 
But the sin that, that, that is not leading to death, meaning the sin that, that, that maybe we can pray for our brothers and sisters and, and that maybe God will protect them from that termination. John says that, you know what? Our God is faithful. We can take our prayers to Him. He can be trusted. We can have confidence in our Father that He hears us, that He hears our requests, and He will answer our requests. You want a specific example, a serious example, the Apostle says? How about a guy who's living a lifestyle of sin and he's going down a path that that at some point could terminate his life? Can that happen? Yes. Church, can we pray for that person? And can we trust that, that, that Almighty God is even strong enough to come in and, and save that person from that danger? John says, yes, we can. What's the point? Don't get caught in the, in the trees for the sake of the forest here. What is, what is John's point for his whole letter here? Little children, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. In the name of the Son of God, you, you gain eternity. You can have confidence in that. You can have confidence in God. So much so that you can, you can beseech Him. So much so that even in, even in moments like verses 16, 17, and 18, we can trust Him. Look at verse 18. We know that no one who is born of God sins. Better translation, we know that no one who is born of God continues on sinning. Do, do we sin? Yes. Do we, do we continue in a lifestyle of sin like we were before? No. That, that's not the mark of a converted person. That doesn't make sense for those who are in Christ. But he, now sometimes we read this verse and we confuse the pronouns here. We know that no one, that's us, who is born of God continues on in sin. But he, does your scripture have a capital H? It should. Who is the he? God. He who was born of God. Specifically, it's the he who was born of God. Who's the he that was born of God? It's Christ. He who was begotten of God keeps him. Who's that him? That's the us him. Look at the surety in John's words. We know that no one who's born of God, of course, we don't, we don't practice a lifestyle of continual sin. If you see a guy heading down that path, we're able to even pray for him. And, and, and it's not about the prayer, but look at the God who sweeps in and promises that he will, he will protect, that he will save from even death. How, how, does, that, how does that work? It works because he who is born of God, he keeps us. He keeps us. We can trust him to the point that the evil one does not even touch him. To the point that the evil one has no ultimate authority. He has no ultimate control. Now, that leads to, if you want, I'm not going to go to it for lack of time, but if you want to jot down another verse that says essentially, uh, the same thing. Jot down James five nineteen and 20 and you can go back later. But the point there in those verses isn't the sin for sure. That we might find this individual sin that we, if we can avoid it then we're, we're good to go. The point is that God can be trusted. Even in situations of sin. Now, verse 19, look at what he says. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. First half of the verse at the end of the day, we know who we are. Because the Apostle John writes these words, we come away from this letter, hopefully being able to confidently say that we know, that we know that we are of God. Based on all that he has unpacked in this letter, we come away 
knowing that we are of God. We are defined by God, His righteousness, His power. It's His work. It's not about us. So that's what he's been doing this whole letter. But look at what he says here now in the last half of this verse. And there could be not just one sermon, but a series of sermons preached just on this verse. Maybe you've never noticed this half of this verse before. But there's a truth in this verse that you've got to wrap your head around and that you've got to include in your theology. It's the context in which John writes the letter, and it's the context in which you and I live. You can't miss it. What does he say? Of course we know that we are of God. That's what he's been arguing for the whole time. Confidence. We're his. We're his. But the context that you live in is that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So all this confidence in in our God, all this confidence in our Father, yes, amen, amen. Don't forget. Don't forget. You live in a world, you live in a world that is under the sway. It is under the authority granted him by God for a season long ago that has not yet come to its end. It will, but it has not yet come to its end. You live in a world that is under the authority, this verse says, of the evil one. Did you know that? Uh, do you understand that? You know, maybe you, like I remember the old song in, in uh, Sunday school when you went to Sunday school as a kid, if you went to Sunday school as a kid. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. I mean, we know that's true, and it is true. God has not lost control of this world. The sovereignty of God holds everything within its grasp. Let me say that again. The sovereignty of God holds everything within its grasp. Yet, the evil one still enjoys authority granted him by God. In theology, we have this concept called the already but not yet concept. The already but not yet principle. There are some truths in Scripture that God has, that God has settled. And they are already done deals. But in time and space, they are not yet fulfilled and completed. They are not yet done in the sense that we see the fulfillment of them. It's as good as done. We can trust it. We have confidence in those things. They're already done, but they're not yet complete. You tracking with me? Very often we use that principle to talk about the things that God has said about us, the promises that he has for us, that that we are robed in righteousness. We are perfectly clean. We are washed by the blood of Christ. We're white as snow. Those things are already true of you and I. We can stand with confidence. We can walk into the throne room of God. We understand that the the anchor holds within the veil, that we, we have great confidence to be able to walk right in there, push the veil that's already been torn, by the way, right out of the way and, and fall down or climb into the lap of our, our Heavenly Father. That's already accomplished. But I don't know about you, there's some sin not yet, not yet taken care of in my life. There's some stuff in this world that's not already taken care of. The promise is that it's as good as done and we can count on it. We have confidence in it. The same is true about our adversary. Christ has squashed the head of the serpent of old. It's a done deal back from Genesis. It's a promise that has been fulfilled in Christ that we can count on, we can have confidence in. 
But guess what? Within the sovereignty of God, he, he still got his grubby little hands pulling strings in this world. Strings of destruction. Strings of deception in this world. Is that true? The Apostle John thinks it is. And he would say that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That is a huge statement. And we can sing all we want that he's got, he's got the whole world in his hands. But don't lose sight of this fact. You live, Christian. You live in the context where there is a prince of the power of the air around us. Ephesians 2. And the reality is, it's a mess going on around us. But we can still have confidence. I think that's the point here. I think that's why he writes. Even within that context of a, of a world that, is, that, is, that has been redeemed but not yet, even within that context, we have confidence. This world, this world is, is still being manipulated by the evil one. He still has some authority here. One day God will bring that to an end. One day He will bring that to an end. He still uses Satan and all of his schemes within his own sovereignty to accomplish his plans that, that are beyond you and I. That's the fact of the matter. But the reality for those who read this letter in the first century is, is that there were lies trying to throw them into confusion, discouragement, etc. And John comes along and says, Little children, listen, we can hold on to our confidence. Even though this whole world lies under the authority and the power of the evil one, guess what? We know that we are of God. Now you live in that context, but you can live confidently in that context. Look at the last, look at the last verses here, 20 and 21. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. Notice, notice something here about the first half of verse 20. In the Son, we get not only understanding. See that word? You might want to circle some of these words. We get understanding. We get a knowledge, a knowing that we, that we might not have had before. And it all, it's all about truth. We know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. Lies and deception come from the evil one. And they breed what? Doubt. Truth births what? Confidence. What is John going for in this letter? Confidence. So, we know some things. We know that the Son of God has come. We can be confident in that. Not only that, He has given us an understanding. Not just a knowledge, but an understanding so that we may know what? Him. The focus is still Him. It's still on a person. Him who is true. And we are, guess what we are? We are in Him. We are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. He is, the last half of this verse, He is not only true, but He is nothing new. Look at what He says. This is the true God in eternal life. So our confidence is in Him, and He's true. And we live in Him. Can we, can we really put our confidence in Him? John says, 
This is true. This is the true God. Not only that, he is eternal life. So there's not, there's not just this, this idea that he's true, but it's the idea that there's nothing new. You know, those who were throwing this church into disarray, into confusion, they were bringing new information and saying, well, you know, I know, I know the apostles said this, but we also understand this. It's as if the Apostle, Paul, uh, Apostle John here at the end says, listen, he is true and there's nothing new about them. He is the eternal God. He can be trusted from beginning to end. He has not changed. And he's not changing the program on us midstream. He's true and there's nothing new about him. Unlike the false truths and religions and gods that get thrown at us in this world to sway us by the evil one, he is certain, he is sure. And so what do we enjoy based on that? We enjoy confidence. We enjoy confidence. Verse 21, might seem like an afterthought of, a, of an old man, but it's not. The children, the children, verse 21, get this word, little children, Guard yourselves from idols. Guard yourselves from idols. Seems odd, doesn't it? Why would, he, why would he say that? One, I think you hear in his final words the affection that this, this grandfather figure has for his, for his congregation. Little children. You get the heart of the father coming out in the apostle. But then you get this challenge that he wraps up with. Guard yourselves from idols. What are idols? Idols are those things that, that in lies, in falsehoods, get... get put before us and propped up as the one true God, but they're just frauds. They're made out of wood. They're made out of some metals. And John and Paul have been warring against these idols for an entire century. And he wraps up this letter saying, little children, listen, guard yourselves from these idols. These guys are trying to throw, throw other, other truths at you that are, that are just lies to begin with. And in doing so, they're setting up not, not, just, not just false um, theologies, but they're setting up false gods. We have a true God, and we have an eternal God. So guard yourselves from all that nonsense. Little children, you have confidence in the God of your salvation. Um, the boys and I flew last week to Texas. And if you've ever, uh, if you've ever taken time to kind of people watch in the airport, you see some funny stuff, don't you? One of the interesting things you see sometimes, if you sit at your gate for more than just a little bit, maybe you get there early enough to where you've got some time. If you've got your ticket, you notice there's a difference between you and the guy who's standing at the counter at the gate. You see the guy standing at the counter at the gate? What's he doing? He's pacing, probably. He's waiting on the lady to get off the phone, talking to whoever she's talking to, so that maybe he can get a seat on that plane. That's what he's doing. The difference between you with a ticket and the guy flying standby is your confidence that you have a seat. For you who have a ticket, guess what? You, you, you're getting some rest. You're just hanging out. Maybe you've walked down a little bit, found some snacks, found the Starbucks. You're just killing time. You know you've got a seat. You're not, you don't have to sit right there at the counter hoping and waiting to see if maybe someone will talk to you and maybe you can get down that little aisle to have a seat on the plane to wherever you're flying. Unlike you, that guy's nervous and he's anxious and he doesn't know what's going to happen and he's calling his family, I don't know if I'm going to make it home. There is no confidence, there is no surety. For, for, for the one who holds a ticket, well, you, you sit back and you wait. 
That's the difference between those who understand what it means to be in Christ and those who are pacing through life trying to find a way to get their ticket punched. The Apostle John would have us rest. Not in our own doing. Not in our own righteousness. Not in our own achievements. Not in our own accomplishments. The Apostle John. Grandpa John. The aged Apostle in his, in his final years would have the little children, the flock, rest in the Savior. He can be trusted. God can be trusted. The story that has been preached of old can be trusted. There's no, nothing new needed. You rest in Him. Pray with me. Jesus, Your blood, as we sang earlier, speaks a better word than all the empty claims upon this earth. It speaks righteousness to us. It stands in our defense. Jesus, it's Your blood that we find our confidence and our hope. And upon You, Christ, our solid rock, we will stand. Because in this, in this storm of a world we live in, all other ground is is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Lord, as the world tries everything else out there under the sun, they do so in vanity. Our only hope is you and and the gospel of your sacrifice. And all the other facades that are propped up in this world are stripped away. The only thing that matters is that your Son has come for us, Father. And He's made a way for us to be redeemed, forgiven. It's upon Christ, that solid rock, we stand this morning. With any confidence at all. And the reason we can sing is because, God, you're not looking at me. When you see me, you see your Son. And I'm robed in His righteousness. Thanks be to God. It's to the praise of Your glory. And Jesus, might in our life, might in our life, You receive the reward of Your suffering. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? As Ricky offers this prayer, to dismiss us. Why don't you uh, prepare your hearts not to, not to leave the presence of God, but to live out this next week confidently in His presence. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. The Christ of 
Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. Lord, we pray to you, we sing to you our cornerstone our sure foundation. Father, we come to you and we rest with confidence in you. Father, thank you not just for grace and for mercy. Lord, thank you for the security of knowing who we serve, of knowing who you are. Father, we turn to you. We fall into your arms with abandon today and this week, and we place our trust in our cornerstone in you. Please be with us, Father, and give us strength to follow you boldly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.